Hello, everyone. Today, we have Mr. Pierre Polyev on the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. Mr. Polyev is running to be the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Mr. Polyev, thanks for joining the show today. Great to be with you. All right. Toughest question of the day. When are you going to scrap the carbon tax before or after lunch on your first day if elected PM? Well, it'll be, as, uh, it'll be in my very first uh, budget, that's for sure. So I guess we'll, I, normally budgets are introduced after lunch. Uh, so uh, it'll be a nice dessert. <laughs> okay, well, you know I have to ask you this question as a follow-up. Will you replace the Trudeau carbon tax with any form of carbon tax of your own? And what are you going to do about that second carbon tax that the government is bringing in through fuel regulations? I will not bring in any other carbon tax, and I'm against the second carbon tax as well. Okay, well, hey, I think that's what our our listeners are looking for. Um, So you've been on the road coast to coast. You've been hearing about the struggles of Canadians. Now, what do you think is causing inflation, and what would you do to make life a little bit more affordable? The cost of government is driving up the cost of living. A half a trillion dollars of inflationary deficits have sent more dollars bidding up the price of fewer goods. Inflationary taxes have made it more expensive for businesses to produce those goods. The more government spends, the more things cost. It's just inflation. So what do we do to fix it? Well, we have to reverse the policies that caused it in the first place. I mean, first of all, we need to phase out the deficit. I will cap government spending with a pay-as-you-go law that requires the government find a dollar of savings for every single dollar of new spending measures. Um, That will prevent the ongoing increase in cost. Uh, If you had had that law in place um, over the last two years, uh, keeping in mind that it does have an exemption for emergency spending um, related to pandemics, earthquakes, wars, et cetera, but even if you had that exemption in place with this law, the debt would be about $200 billion smaller today than it is because um, all of the discretionary spending not related to COVID would have to have been met with equal savings. And uh, we would have been able to reduce government by 200 billion. That's about 10% of the GDP of the country. Um, This law existed in the United States during the Clinton era. They balanced the budget, paid off $400 billion of debt, and that caused a monstrous economic boom in wages, job growth all shot up. Um, The second thing is I'm going to cut wasteful spending by saving a billion dollars, defunding the CBC, axing uh, the infrastructure bank. It's a $35 billion corporate welfare fund. The government's also put together another $10 billion corporate welfare fund in the recent budget. I will eliminate that. And and I will go line by line through budgets to cut out also the uh, the funding for lobbying and advocacy. The government actually funds groups to lobby the government. I'm going to cut that. So all of those things will save money and allow us to phase out the deficit. Second, um, I'll get rid of the carbon tax to uh, lower inflationary pressures. Look, uh, carbon taxes are inflationary by design. They not only raise the price of gas, diesel, and home heating, they also raise the price of everything delivered in a truck or by train. Um, finally, uh, we're going to uh, the supply side. We have to pr- we have to produce more of the stuff money buys. Um, you know, we we're spending a lot of money on a fixed supply of goods. How about making more goods? So, 
I'm going to reform the tax system to bring home investment so our factories can grow and produce more. Uh, I'm going to remove red tape so that businesses have spend less time filling out paperwork for government, more time delivering goods and services. I'll repeal the C-69 to produce and deliver more of our energy. I'll end uh, the attacks on our farmers so they can grow more food. Uh, I'll incentivize municipalities to speed up and lower the cost of building permits uh, by linking the number of dollar infrastructure dollars they get to the number of houses that are, are, are completed uh, so that we get more housing. So supply, make more, spend less with paychecks and not debt. You know, I heard you say repeal Bill C-69. As someone who's spent a lot of time in Calgary, that's that's music to my ears. For our listeners, that is the no more pipelines law that the CTF has been fighting as well. So you mentioned a pay-as-you-go law. Very interesting. Would you be considering bringing in some type of balanced budget legislation that has some teeth? Yes, uh, in principle, that's a good idea. We uh, we introduced, a think, I think, a similar bill back in the Harper era. And the, the, the principle was that outside of a recession uh, or a national emergency, there should be a balanced budget and that that should be put in law. So I, I do agree with that pr proposal. And thank you that you actually reminded me of it because I haven't thought of it in a while. But it is good to have a legal um, uh, a legal principle that guides our finances. I think you need to legalize this stuff because uh, now it is true that politicians can change laws, but at least if you write it down, um, it imposes more discipline on the system, on the bureaucrats and the politicians. And I, in the past, that has proven to deliver better results. So you mentioned defunding the CBC, more than a billion dollars in savings there every single year. What about that yeah. media bailout? What would you do with that? I'm against um, bailouts for, frankly, against all kinds of bailouts, not just for media. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that uh, we need a market-driven media that is that uh, benefits by subscriptions, advertising, sponsorships, and donations, rather than by government subsidies. All right, let's shift gears just slightly here. And let's talk about taxes. We've seen payroll taxes up booze taxes up, carbon taxes up during the pandemic. I think Canadians are paying too much tax. Would you cut taxes if you were PM? Yes. <laughs> Which taxes would you cut? Well, my first, obviously I've said I'm going to get rid of the carbon tax, but I, my first priority, my biggest priority for tax cutting is income and payroll taxes. Um, the reason is that they punish work. Um, we live in a country where work doesn't pay. Um, you know, if you look at a single mom in the neighborhood of 60 to 70,000 a year, she earns an extra dollar. She loses about 80 cents in income and payroll taxes, gas taxes to get to work, and then clawbacks of her child benefit. So you pile these one on top of the other. So you ask yourself, why would someone work? You know, if you're losing 80 cents on the dollar, who would work for a 20 cent dollar? Nobody. It just doesn't make sense. And so people make the decision to work less. And it's a lot, it's a fact, frankly, when the tax and benefit system is structured this way, it's a logical mathematical decision because you could be, and instead of earning 20 cents on the dollar, you could be relaxing, reading a book, uh, out for a walk, uh, enjoying your, your, your leisure time. Um, the only way to, in, to in, incentivize more work 
more hours and more um, output is by rewarding hard work. Um, we have to end the war on work. So um, I haven't obviously published an election platform yet, and I, I will, and it will clarify what taxes I will cut and by how much. But we have to cut the taxes on labor, which include income tax and payroll taxes. Um, and that will be at my top of my list. One of the biggest concerns that I hear almost every week, at least one time, is people are worried about home equity tax. Mm-hmm. Um, Right now, there's a requirement to report the sale of your home with the CRA. Would you remove that reporting requirement? Yes. All right, let's shift gears. Another thing that we're here all the time is there's a sense that there's a tale of two pandemics, one full of private sector pain, job losses, pay cuts, businesses being forced to shut down. And the other is full of economic gain for a bunch of bureaucrats, pay raises, bonuses, even when they fail their objectives. And- Politicians have also taken pay raises during the pandemic. So would you reverse these government pandemic pay raises and and would you show leadership on your own pay? Well, I would cancel uh, bonuses for um, failing government government, uh, authorities. Uh, And I would, that would include, for example, the Bank of Canada, uh, CBC uh, and other organizations that have failed in their jobs throughout the pandemic. Uh, I don't think we should reward um, failure. And unfortunately, the reason why we have such a dysfunctional government is because there is no um, find, there's no accountability for failure. Um, you know, for I'll give you an example. I said that I would fire the bank governor, this banker, uh, the governor of the Bank of Canada. And of course, all the elites went berserk. But wait a second here. In the real world, if you are a waitress and you consistently don't do your job, eventually your employer might fire you. And in Tiff Macklem's case, what he did is serve Justin Trudeau. Trudeau asked for a bunch of printed money and he gave it to him. That wasn't his job. That's not what his mandate says. So he, one, caused inflation. So we have inflation four times the 2% target. Two, he said there would be no inflation, but rather deflation. Three, he told Canadians that interest rates would be low for long, which caused them to make very bad financial decisions. They bought houses with large mortgages that they could not afford at higher rates because their bank governor said that they could um, count on him to keep their rates rock bottom. And so uh, basically, they, we have people now whose rates are gone up and they can't pay their mortgages and their house prices have gone down. So they're underwater. Um, for me, that is uh, enough to replace the bank governor with someone who will get back to 2% inflation and do his job instead of printing cash for politicians to spend. Uh, I think that is a good basic principle. Um, You know, the same goes with CBC. I can't imagine why CBC would be getting a bonus. The coverage they've had over the last several years is terrible. Their ratings are awful. Their viewership is down. Why would you give a bonus to people uh, who have those kinds of failures? So I would save a billion dollars by defunding the CBC. Um, I do believe in performance pay, though. So the reason is because I think you need to incentivize 
um, good performance. So if, if uh, government, uh, public servants deliver uh, and hit it out of the park, I believe that that should be reflected in their compensation. Um, and so it's, it's called at-risk pay. Uh, and uh, we need, in fact, I think more of our grants and contributions should be based on what outcomes are achieved. So for example, if you have a, you, let's say you have a, an, uh, a not-for-profit the government uh, grants money to for drug treatment, I would use, I would have some of that money uh, dependent on how, how uh, whether their participants stay drug-free. So let's pay them a performance contract rather than a, a, a no-strings-attached grant that reimburses their expenses. And that way we can get better results from those who take public money. So I want to move on to uh, another topic of accountability. But before we do, I know that I've got some supporters in Brooks screaming at me to make sure I ask a follow-up question here. So I just want to be super clear. Um, what would you do about the politician pay raises that have been going up year after year? Well, I think they are rising faster than they should. Um, I think politicians should pay the price for inflation instead of, um, instead of linking uh, politician pay to the cost of living, uh, maybe it should be linked to how fast wages are rising for Canadians uh, and take-home pay is rising for Canadians. And that would incentivize members of parliament to think of the well-being of their constituents every year rather than just having an indexation of their pay. So your campaign has talked a lot about putting people back in control of their lives and shutting down big bossy government. When I was on the road with the National Debt Clock Tour, I heard a lot about from people saying that they don't have the tools to hold their politicians accountable. One tool for accountability could be recall legislation. Would you consider bringing forward a bill that included recall? Well, I'm open to it. Um, here's the question I ask is that, uh, would it, uh, would everyday citizens be leading the charge on recalls or would, um, a small and narrow special interest group, uh, base, uh, drive the discussion. Um, and that is, uh, that, that's a question I'd have to answer before committing to introducing it, but I'm, I'm open to it. I know that recall exists in other jurisdictions around the world. And I think that keeping politicians directly accountable to their constituents between elections is something we should do. So two quick questions, rapid fire. I know you're very busy and have to go. So I'm a huge econ nerd. I have a feeling that you're a bit of an econ nerd as well. Uh, so what economics or finance book would you recommend to everyone read? Well, uh, it depends how much time you have. And let's see what, what books <laughs> I have here handy. I think I might, might have misplaced it, but I was going to show you my, um, um, the history of, ah, there it is. So this is one of the reasons I was able to predict the inflation we have today. As you know, I started predicting we'd have massive inflation back in 2020. Everyone laughed and said it was ridiculous. Um, inflation was a thing of the past, but I read this book by Milton Friedman and Anna Jacobson Schwartz, and it is the entire monetary history of the United States going back to the immediate aftermath of the Civil War. And as you can see, I have a lot of tabs in here. And basically what it taught me is that um, money supply is the main driver of inflation. You have more money pouring into the economy. It drives, uh, if money is, is growing faster than the, the goods it buys, then you'll have inflation. And uh, that's pretty simple. It's not, I'm not saying that I had to be a genius to make this prediction. It's just kind 
kind of discouraging that everyone else, uh, not everyone else, um, but everyone in the political establishment and the Bank of Canada and Liberal government had such a hard time making such an obvious prediction. Um, but this is a dry read. It will be. It's hard to stay awake reading it because it's data driven and it's a very good book. Um, uh, I think uh, I think that that uh, has been one of the most instructive. I also enjoyed Jordan Peterson's 12 rules, uh, good rules to follow in life. And um, so those are those are some of the good books. I'm, I, I like I enjoy uh, Marcus Aurelius's meditations. Um, it's sort of it's obviously a stoic philosophy uh, that helps people frame their mind to face adversity, which you have to do in politics. Uh, so those are uh, three different books that come to mind off the top of my head. And those are, that's a, I'm love that you brought up the Friedman book. That's awesome. So last question, you've been in office for a little while now. So what's one accomplishment that you're most proud of? And what's one thing you want to accomplish before you leave public life? Well, I think um, overall, I've been probably the, the country's leading voice for taxpayers, uh, the, the parliament's leading voice for taxpayers. Uh, since I've been in parliament, I fought tooth and nail within the Harper government to get the tax burden down. We, we ended up cutting taxes by about 30 billion a year. And uh, that would include cutting the GST, income taxes, business taxes, payroll taxes, basically every tax that exists, we cut. And we left a balanced budget at the same time. In the aftermath, I became the finance critic and kept fighting for low taxes. And that includes um, the, the leading the charge against the small business tax increases of 2017 that Bill Morneau tried to implement to fighting the carbon tax uh, and to continuing the fight against the inflation tax, which has been my most recent obsession. Um, so I think that consistent commitment to leave more dollars in the hands of people who earned it and less in the hands of politicians who tax it uh, is the the overriding theme of my career and i would uh, continue fighting for it mr polyev thanks for coming on the show today great to be with you hi i'm scott hennig president of the canadian taxpayers federation if you've got another minute i'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast do us a favor and do them a favor and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening, and thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.